Hi, everyone. I'm Neha Gandhi, CEO of Girlboss, and your host for this episode of Girlboss Radio. I'm so excited about this conversation. It's with Tiara Gilardi, an old friend and colleague of mine from Refinery29. Tiara is a co-founder and the executive creative director of Refinery. And for today's episode of Girlboss Radio, we got the chance to catch up and talk about her journey from being a creative dreamer in a small town in Maine to becoming a powerhouse executive and co-founder of one of the most successful women's media brands out there. Piera leads teams who would follow her to the edge of the universe. She dreams of ideas you've honestly never considered before. She's a true creative and she marries that creativity and leadership in a really cool way that we got to dive into during our conversation. We recorded in front of a live audience at the Girl Boss Rally, so things might sound just a little bit different, but don't worry. You can still expect the usual wonderful conversations we have on this show. And here's some of what Piera had to say about what she's learned about being a great manager over the years. I don't want people to think what I would do. I want people to understand the motivation behind why I make decisions and for them to take that and then make the decisions in their own way and do what they would do. Because also I hire people for their unique points of view, their unique perspectives. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, Pierre and I talk about Refinery29's 29 Rooms, her thoughts on building a great company culture, and so much more. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Uh, this is really exciting for me because you're someone that I've loved and admired, not just on a professional level, but on a personal level for such a long time. Same. I had the privilege of working with you at Refinery29 for six years. It's the place where I became like a, a proper adult. <laughs> it's the place where I learned most of the lessons I needed to learn in my career, and I feel like so much of that I owe to you, I owe to the other co-founders of Refinery. And so this is really fun for me. Well, I was very excited also because, (laughs) you know, I feel like we grew so much together in the six years that we worked together and I admire you so much and also love, like that's one of the things I love most about what we've done with Refinery. One of the things I feel most proud of is like the talent that we've nurtured within our walls that I've had the honor of learning from and, and watching grow and then seeing them flourish out in the, world at large. So I always think of everyone as alumni. So really special alumni network. You're a special (laughs) alumni. I love it. You are an executive creative director of Refinery. You are a co-founder. You are an acclaimed speaker. You are an extremely talented creative director. You are a bona fide social superstar. Um, You're mom. You're a lot of different things. But before you were all those things, I'd love to take a step back, not even just to the founding of Refinery, but to sort of childhood and college, right? You grew up in a small town in Maine, Mm -hmm. and then you went to NYU for your undergrad. Was it always NYU? Did you know it was going to be New York City no matter what? Or how did you land there? I mean, so I grew up in a small town in Maine, a town of a thousand people. And um, growing up, my, my mom was a fierce feminist. She like would do all this research to make sure that the stories that she read us at bedtime had fierce women protagonists. And um, she was just very involved in her community and in the causes that she cared about. So I feel like I, a lot of you know, me came from her. And then my dad on the other side is extremely creative. He's an entrepreneur, someone that's just like intellectually so exuberant and, and just always thinking of new ideas. So we used to do business brainstorms around the kitchen table when I was growing up. Um, that was like our dinner game that we played. And so I feel like the combination of the two of them um, s- sort of formed who I was. And then uh, another thing that was a real catalyst for me was my mom's best friend gave me a subscription to Sassy magazine when I was a teenager. And um, for those of you that don't know Sassy, it was this incredible teen magazine that just really showed it. the content was so real, raw, and relatable. It was unlike um, any of the other magazines that I saw. And um, like I remember there was the, the issue that she gave me, the first issue had a picture of Jenny Garth um, from 90210, and her feet were to the camera, and she had the... Um, the price stickers from Salvation Army on the bottom of her shoes. And like to see something like that in a magazine 
was just really, you know, it was really exciting. Seeing that magazine really got me excited about the possibilities of creating content, of kind of shifting, you know, how you speak to people and who is seen within these pages. And that was made in New York. So from an early age, I was really excited about the idea of sort of collaborate. Like I just saw it as this place that where this incredible group of women was creating this kind of revolutionary content uh, with this punk spirit in New York City. So I think that planted the seeds for me. Um, you know, Maine was an incredible place to grow up. I feel like it nurtured a lot of imagination in me to be somewhere small and somewhere where there wasn't a ton to do. Um, but by the time I was 12, I like had made up my mind that I wanted to move to New York. I had a cousin that lived there um, and I would go visit him. And I just loved the energy of the city and I loved how you know, I just love the culture of the city and how rich it was. And so I applied to a ton of different schools in a ton of different cities. Um, but NYU, I got a scholarship, and I was really excited about the idea of moving to New York. And so I, I jumped at that. And I still, I still feel emotional about New York because I, I, it opened up my world. Look, I'm crying. <laughs> it just opened up my world so much. You know, it's like when you make your own dream come true and you, like, end up in this place that you dreamed of for so long. It's like I still feel so much wonder when I look around me in the city and I, I just like wanted to experience it all because it was all like it was all new to me. And I still kind of feel that way. Sometimes I actually have to reel myself back from, from FOMO and, and I'm trying to embrace more JOMO, the joy of missing out. <laughs> um, but there's always like there's always that that girl from the small town in Maine with inside me, and that's an amazing thing because I think it fills me with a lot of like wonder and gratitude for the opportunities that I have and the people that I meet and the places that I get to go. Um, but also sometimes I have to like be like it's okay, Team Pira. Like you've done a lot. Like you can you know you can take care of yourself. You can get a full night's sleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stay you home don't tonight. Have, yeah, you can stay home tonight. That's so interesting because that is something that. I've always marveled at when I think about you because you have the capacity to work really hard at your job, to, you know, be at the office late if you need to, and then go see a friend and go to, like, some crazy party that, like, you only just heard about and, like, be out, like, seemingly all night. And maybe you don't do that anymore, but, like, with just sort of this endless energy to do more and more, whereas, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, I would love to like sit on a park bench and go home to bed at 10.30. And like that becomes so appealing that like my, I start to lose my curiosity. How do you continue to sort of nurture that little girl from Maine so that you never get jaded or tired? I just naturally have a lot of energy and not everyone has, yeah. has that same energy. If being on a park bench <laughs> makes you feel amazing, like embrace that, you know, that's incredible too that there's a you know it's also some people get nourished in different ways and sometimes I need to just chill to to refill my battery but sometimes you know going to a roller disco is what refills my ba <laughs> my battery um, and I think it's I think like my biggest lesson in the f almost 15 years it's gonna be 15 years next year that we've done refinery I think my biggest lesson has been about Con constantly nurturing a growth mindset um, and for me that a lot of that is about that curiosity and taking in new experiences and that's how that's how I'm built like I I never have a f I never have like a long-term plan I need to experience things and see how I respond to them in order to know what I should do next um, so I've just found that my creative process my intellectual process my an entrepreneurial process is about having a lot of different experiences and um, kind of pushing myself to be to continue to be curious and to continue to try new things. Yeah. So let's talk about Refinery for a little bit. Can you tell us sort of that Genesis story of you got to New York, you were at, you were at City for a while, I think, um, and then how did it come to be? Like, what was the original vision? So I moved to New York and I was in. I went to NYU for art. And, um, but I never, I only lived in the dorm one year. I lived um, with friends that I met from Cooper Union. Um, so I had friends at a lot of different schools in the city and I, I really felt like those different relationships and seeing different people's process 
um, influenced me a lot. And I think growing up, I grew up in a family business. My dad, my dad and his brother started their business together. We all worked in, you know, worked in his factory in some capacity. And I think I just wanted more collaboration. But I also was very aware um, of what, what what was I going to do when I finished school. Um, to turn this into a career. And I started to feel like it wasn't actually going to be being a solo artist. I wanted something more collaborative. Um, and so I, start, I applied to a ton of different things. I applied to positions in galleries, um, artist, artist assistant positions. Um, and I applied to a couple different magazines, including this small magazine called City. And I went in for an interview at City, and then I got a call, and they said I didn't get the internship which I was disappointed about. And then two days later, they called me back and they said, actually, we're going to have two interns. And you, they said, so they're like, you weren't our first choice, <laughs> but you can, still, you can still come in. And but because they were so dazzled. <laughs> maybe. Uh, and, you know, or maybe because we were the only two people that interviewed. <laughs> but I went, so I started, I started interning there and... Um, it was amazing because it was a really small environment. Actually, the first day that I went in, I found out that the person that had hired me didn't actually work in the office. Um, she was a photo director, but she was freelance, essentially, and, and didn't come into the office. So she just left me. It was an open office plan, very small, and she just left me these instructions that said, uh, we're doing a feature about different people, different careers within the city, so I need you to call Al Franken's office. I need you to find me a zookeeper, a helicopter pilot, you know, a brain surgeon, and, um, and yeah, please contact these people and, and you know, find out their availability to, sh to shoot them for this feature. That's by fire. <laughs> my first day, I had I didn't know I had no like idea how to pitch the magazine. You know, I didn't. It was it was totally trial by fire. But while I was there, uh, the executive editor was this woman, Christine Barbrick, and uh, she started to take me under her wing because I was truly like I just had these notes and you know they were my assignments that I was that I had to do. And so she started to kind of take me under her wing and and um, also to utilize me. At, on the editorial side in addition to the photo side. So um, being there was this incredible experience because I got to learn from so many different parts of the business. I transitioned from intern, um, and in the years that I was there, I became photo director. And then I started to feel a little bit tired by the cycle of magazines. It just felt very monotonous, and I wanted a new challenge. And so um, and I was dating this guy, Philip, and he and his friend had the initial idea for a finery. Um, and so what they, were, what they were inspired by was the fact that we were living in Brooklyn and there were all these incredible emerging designers and store owners that had a very unique perspective on style. And they wanted to create this, um, you know, this website that would house all of them and be a marketing platform for all of them. And so I started basically girlfriend consulting. Like I was just, um, I was just looking for another outlet. You know, I was working at City. I also babysat the entire time I was at City to make like to supplement my income. <laughs> Intern salaries um, don't get you there. Well, no, I, I mean, even photo director salary right. at that particular magazine uh, <laughs> did did not. Yeah, not a lot I think of I was making thirty five thousand dollars a year. Um, and then they were looking for an editor for, you know, to launch Refinery. And I suggested that they reach out to Christine Barbrick, who was the executive editor who had really mentored me and taken me under her wing and had moved on um, to another magazine. I thought she was going to suggest an intern, a former assistant, and she just totally shocked me by calling me up and saying, I love this idea. I think this has real potential. Um, but I can't tell from talking to Philip how invested you, how involved you are, and I can't do this without you being in. So basically, she dared me to jump, and it was it was really it was really great that she did too because I wasn't you know I was I think I was 23 years old I didn't I wasn't thinking about like what is the formal agreement here you know what is my percentage in the company or what is my role what is my rate you know none of that stuff it was completely just volunteer work basically um, so her deciding to get involved a made me realize that it was a real thing and that I needed to I needed to advocate for myself and create a real role for myself within it um, and then it just was like so exciting 
that she believed in it and it made me see the possibility a lot more than I, than I had been. I want to take a minute to talk to you about a really cool new concept in at-home fitness. It's called Tonal. It's so easy to just focus on cardio when you're working out. You can pop outside, go for a run. You don't even have to go to the gym, but that's actually not enough when it comes to keeping your body as healthy as it can be. Doctors know and are telling us all the time that strength training is essential to a fully rounded workout. It decreases the risks of developing conditions like osteoporosis, it increases balance and flexibility, and it increases your overall cardio health too. If you have a cardio routine, then strength training should be an ideal complement to add to it. That's why I'm really excited about Tonal. It's an at-home strength training device that's like an entire gym combined with the virtual personal trainer. It has adjustable arms so you can replicate all of your favorite machines at the gym all in one. And it has a touchscreen built in so you can get guidance from expert coaches while you're working out. One of the hardest things for me about working out with weights is truthfully just remembering what weight I lift on different machines. And what I love about Tonal is that it remembers what weights you're using for different movements. So you kind of don't have to do that work. You just have to do the work of getting stronger. Tonal has guided workouts as short as 10 minutes. So if you just have a few minutes to squeeze something in, you can go for it. Or you can do something up to an hour if you want to really go for it with a deeper workout. They offer multi-week programs and they help you reach your fitness goals in a way that feels really tailored to what your life looks like. And that's something that I always appreciate. If you act now, Girlboss Radio listeners can get $100 off your purchase of Tonal. To get started on strength training and to get a more complete workout, visit Tonal.com slash Girlboss. That's Tonal.com slash G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Pierre now. So you start refinery. Now you guys are doing the work. Start Things start to take off. And for a long time, it was email-focused, right? And you guys were doing the email every day by yourselves, and that was the work. How did you transition from that, certainly to where we are today, but just to the first like moment of being like, I don't do this email myself. Like We're going to hire people. I'm going to trust someone to do this thing that feels fundamental to what I've built, what I've been sweating over, what I've been working for um, without pay for a long time. Like, How do you let that go? How did you learn the lessons of delegation? Yeah, so we, we, we started as this market. It wasn't really a marketplace. It was more of a platform to celebrate these different brands and voices and style. And what, um, you know, I think what we were tapped into was this independent mindset, the idea of style as self-expression versus rules-based fashion that was sort of built around exclusion. Um, so for us, we wanted to look at, yeah, style as self-expression and style as a, a celebration of identity. And, um, and that also led to kind of digging into the politics of style and beauty and who's represented, who isn't, who's included in those conversations, who's, who isn't. When we were starting the company, we used to always joke, like, no job is too small, because when you're starting your company, you know, I remember Philip and Justin going and, like, buying an air conditioner for our office on Craigslist and, like, them coming in and, like, lugging it into the office and us all, like, kind of pushing it, you know, into the window. And, like, I was terrified we were going to get crushed by the AC. <laughs> um, you know, or you're, t- you know, you're taking out the trash at the end of the night. There's, you know, you have to do it all. There's no one else that's going to do it. Um, and it was exciting for me at that time because I, it also meant that I learned all these things that I didn't know. I learned how to code. I learned how to do Google Analytics, which I think also laid a foundation for me in, you know, I just had such a deep understanding of how things were made. Um, and I do think that helps you to manage people when you actually know what goes into <laughs> the making of something. But it, it was challenging when we started to grow and when we, you know, in a lot of ways, it was amazing to be able to hire people at long last to take on some of the responsibilities that we were doing. Um, but it's also hard because you then you have an identity crisis of figuring out, okay, I, I was the person that did all of these things, and now I... 
I need to learn to delegate those things, but I also need to reimagine myself and my role and, and broaden my vision of what I can contribute. There's also times that it's felt very full of grief, um, that it's been painful because often as you grow, the things that you love doing, you have to leave behind to go to that next stage. And that isn't always you know, as glamorous as it might seem. Um, you know, like for me, I started as a photo editor. I loved that process of, of creating photo, you know, setting up photo shoots, creating them, being on set, art directing them, editing. I love photo editing. And as we started to grow, that was something that I, you know, hired a photo editor and I really had to delegate that. It wasn't, it didn't make sense for me to do that anymore, but it didn't mean I didn't miss doing it, you know. What I really learned is the importance of, of sharing your why. Like people, it's not like, like six years ago, someone, like for my birthday, you might remember this, Isabel Rancia made bracelets for everyone on the team for my birthday that said WWPD, what would Piera do? Um, and it's cute, but I actually don't think that's the point. Uh, that's like, that's the point of managing. I don't want people to think what I would do. I want people to understand the motivation behind why I make decisions and for them to take that and then make the decisions in their own way and do what they would do. Because also I hire people for their unique points of view, their unique perspectives. Um, so I think it's about really helping people to understand the why behind what they're doing. And also if they're doing, like I remember this with hiring interns, it was like not just saying like, can you file this? Like actually explaining how that contributes to the bigger thing that we're doing. You know, if we're I'm asking them to research something, it's like, I need this because we're doing this important package around, you know, around fertility and the fertility spectrum. And I want, you know, it would be really helpful to me if you could research these things so that it can help inform our point of view on this topic. So um, I think helping, helping, delegating is helping people to see sort of the motivation behind things, the why behind things. Um, and also getting really clear about what, what, it is that that person's doing versus what you're doing, um, and how and how you want that that to work. Like what you, you know, what the approval process is going to look like, what the roles and responsibilities are. I think the clearer that is, the more successful it is, and the more people can be autonomous because that's what you know. That's what's successful is when people they feel a sense of purpose, they have autonomy, and they can really learn and grow in their craft. I feel like you just touched on like all of the startup things that are so hard. <laughs> you know, I feel like all the things that are um, most challenging are this sort of like cult of personality that sometimes develops, right? Like this idea of like, what would the founder do or any of the founders, right? Or right. like what's on brand and what's off brand and how do we determine? And it's if there's one gatekeeper always, it's mm. like, how much can you scale and how can anyone ever feel ownership? But like yeah. that idea of articulating like the deeper why and actually trusting people is so powerful and also so hard. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I started to think about it as like less about management and more about how can I, how can I inspire and empower people? Which, it, which was hard, you know, it's, it's, it's been a process. I think a good example, a small scale example was like, there was a point where Christine and, and myself, you also might remember this, Christine and myself would approve every opener image that was going in the newsletter or going on the site. You know, because sometimes it's, it's hard, like you care about something so much and then you're giving up that control and you're scared of like what's gonna happen. And um, so we were, in, you know, we were approving every image and finally someone, someone bravely sat me down and said, look, like this is creating such a huge bottleneck um, and we really need you to figure out a different way. And so, you know, I did the process of sitting down and I looked at all the past emails where we were approving the opener and I just pulled out the themes. I, I started to see these really clear themes. Like um, a lot of times it was making sure that the image connected well to the to the headline that it was delivering on the promise of the headline i saw that often i would often i wouldn't approve an image because it didn't have a clear center of focus it wasn't easy to like quickly parse in our hectic digital landscape so there was just these very clear themes that started to emerge once i analyzed 
all the feedback that we'd given, you know, over the last year or however long we were doing this <laughs> inefficient <laughs> process. Um, and I created a, you know, I created a filter and I ran it by Christine and we, you know, we relinquished control of that, of that piece of the puzzle. Um, and it worked really well that, you know, we also said, you know what, we're relinquishing this. If we see something that really isn't working for us, we're going to send feedback, but it's not, it was also clarifying, like, it doesn't mean we know you can't change it. And we're going to send feedback that's just instructive for the future. Um, we're going to frame it around the future. And so that was an early, that was an early lesson for me in how to successfully you know, how to successfully delegate, how to successfully relinquish control in a way that empowers people to make good decisions. And it's not about like, what would Pira do? It's more about the thought process behind why I do what I do. But I think it's so important that, you know, everyone own, you know, owns their, owns their own opinion and has their own, you know, has their own conversations. And um, learns to be comfortable with those co those conversations and those moments of minor conflict that come from, you know, the, it's sparring without parting, you know, and it, ha it has to happen constantly in the creative process. We'll get back to my conversation with Piera in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about a podcast that I really love from Barney's. One of my favorite podcasts is coming back for season three. The Barney's podcast, and they're doing things a little bit differently this time. This season, journalist Nora Tagori is taking over as the host. She's a trailblazer in her own right. She has an innovative approach to storytelling that celebrates leaders who dare to use their voices to speak up. And of course, she does it all with incredible style. And when I say style, I'm talking about fashion and design, but I'm not just talking about the clothes that we wear. I'm talking about how we express our identities. And the Barney's podcast features conversations with some of the most creative people in and around the fashion industry, discussing why they do what they do and why it matters. With guests like Queer Eyes Tan France, Elaine Welteroth, the former editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, fashion icon Dapper Dan, and model Jillian Mercado, one of the women who is bringing a really interesting conversation about being differently abled to the fashion industry and the modeling industry. There's so much amazing conversation that you're going to want to dive right into. Subscribe and listen to the Barney's podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to my conversation with Piera. I want to talk a little bit about your broader leadership and sort of how your philosophy on how to lead and grow teams and inspire has changed because I think one of the things I've always admired about you is people love working for you. Teams, like your teams always have felt so cohesive and your teams are the ones that are out there seeing karaoke in their spare time and doing really cool creative things. And I think, what's the framework there, right? How do you bring people together? Like you have these brainstorms in your office now. Like how, how do you think about fueling that? And like how do you bring that into your day-to-day -day if you're not a creative? Yeah, well, everyone's a creative. There you go. Um, so that's... That's first and foremost. Everyone is a creative. Not everyone is told that they're creative, especially when they're young, and not everyone nurtures their creativity. Um, but everyone is creative, and there's so many different expressions of creativity out there. Um, and so I think that that's so important for everyone to recognize in themselves. And sometimes there's parts of us that maybe weren't nurtured in the past, but that we can nurture in ourselves. Like, this is a side note, but like my mom was telling me she had a tough childhood growing up and she was telling me about how when she had my brother and I, she reparented herself through the way that she parented us. Like she, when she was reading us stories at night, she would think about how she was also reading to herself. Do you read those same stories to your daughter, by the way? Those feminist yeah. tales? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's at an age where she uh, wants to grab the pages of real books and rip the pages out, so mm -hmm. I mostly read those thick cardboard books that are far less intellectually <laughs> engaging for me, but um, that are more interactive for her, where I don't have to, like, we don't feel like I have to pull the book away from her, which I don't really want want to do at this stage, but um, I, I'm very much looking forward to her being the age where I can read a lot of these books that were so meaningful to me, but that were also meaningful 
for my mom to read to me because, yeah, for her it was like reparenting. Um, and I think about that a lot too from a stance of, um, like I was speaking on a panel um, last week in Cannes and um, Estelle, who's on the show Steven Universe, was talking about how many people come up to her and say that they wish that they had had her character of Garnet when they were growing up. Um, and then this woman from the network said, you know, I wish I had Refinery growing up. Like, I just, I, I really wish I had that. And I, I said, well, why don't you go back and show your childhood self these things that are so meaningful to you? Um, and I think that's a, a pra it's a practice I try and do. Like, sometimes if I'm so scared and stressed out about something and I'm so worried I'm going to fail and then, or I'm worried I can't do something and then I do it, I try and make this loop for myself where I go back to the version of myself that was so scared and that didn't think I would be able to do something and I, I show her that I did it because it's like creating these new loops in our loops in our brain um, and the ability to actually interact with past versions of ourselves, you know, and go back to them. Um, and I, you know, I try and do that too. Like at, in my office, I have. Um, I'm going to answer your question. I just That's realized fine. I'm on a this full. I'm on a full tangent, but um, yeah, in my office, I have a picture of myself when I was nine years old, um, and I have it there because I like. It's it's for me. It's really important because I can be super hard on myself, and I, um, you know, I can like be ruled by self doubt and imposter syndrome, or just can like beat myself up over things. So I have this picture of myself when I was nine years old, and I look at it as like a reminder both to practice self-compassion, like don't, you, like I'm like, I don't want to be mean to that person because she is so precious. Um, but I also, but it's also to like give myself that perspective. Like um, we posted this Instagram post like last year that I think about all the time. And it said, uh, remember when you wanted what you have now. And so, so when I look at these past versions of myself, it's also this reminder to honor like where how far you've come like I I'm a striver I'm ambitious I'm always kind of seeing how something could be better and wanting to do more every single day um, but then it's important to take those pause moments and like recognize the steps that you have taken and to celebrate those steps so to connect it back to the question that you originally asked I think that's also important to do as a manager of a team to make sure that you're creating those moments of reflection, those moments of pause, um, of celebration and learning. Um, so one of the things I do, I've been doing for the last six or seven years, is having, I have a monthly creative team meeting where we, we look at the successes. I make everyone that worked on something that we're celebrating stand up or raise their hand. Most people don't want to stand up, I don't. I don't get it, I'm an Aries, so I want to, st I, I would stand up and like, embrace the applause, but you know, not everyone's comfortable <laughs> with that. Um, so I, you know, I ask them to at least, you know, raise their hand and acknowledge themselves. And then we all clap for that project. So it's like, um, so we do that. Then we look at, you know, we try and reflect on learnings, things that, you know, things that um, were either successful or not successful, but from a lens of, of learning and, and future, you know, re, you know, rethinking things in the future. Um, we have speakers, you know, internal speakers, so we'll have someone come and talk about their process behind a project as a way of just, um, A, helping people to understand what other people do, um, and B, to give that person that moment to, you know, gain the new skill of speaking, of feeling acknowledged in that setting. So I try and really bring those those elements into how I work with the team of like those elements of celebrating our successes, of, of openly learning, you know, seeing our, seeing our mistakes and our failures as learnings for the future, not as something that, you know, should be, you should be ashamed of, but actually something that's going to propel us um, forward and celebrating those risks really. Um, and then I do these brainstorms in my office that are called the Peach Pit Brainstorms. Um, and because my office is peach colored and I loved 90210 when I was a teenager. Uh, and so those are, those really started because I wanted to bring, A, I wanted to honor the fact that everyone's creative. And within the company, like people just have so many incredible superpowers outside of their day to day. Um, and so I love being able to learn about the, learn about those and to let people 
nurture them because I think so often we get boxed into a job description or even like an experience band within a company. So um, yeah, with the brainstorms, people can join from any department, any level. And um, sometimes they're themed around something that we actively need to work on. And sometimes I just do them as an open forum for people to share what's on their mind or what they, you know, things that they think could be really exciting to incorporate. Um, and then even with something like 29 Rooms, we do open, we do like these open brainstorms as well where we present where we're at in the process of, of creative. And for those that don't know, 29 Rooms is um, a huge event series that we do at Refinery that um, started as a total experiment for our 10-year anniversary and has grown into something that's going to be in eight cities this year. Wow. So, but we start the creative process by kind of briefing, anyone can come throughout the company and then we brief them on uh, the theme, where we're at, and then we open it up for them to, to, give us, to give us ideas and to work with each other to come up with ideas. And I think it's just, you know, I think it's part of creating that environment of, of creativity, of learning, of helping people to um, tap into parts of themselves that they might not otherwise be asked. And, you know, when we do that, people come to us like, you know, um, someone in accounting came, came to us and he was just so excited to be asked to participate in that way that, that his voice was valuable to us at, you know, from a creative perspective. Um, cause he's not just, you know, someone on the accounting team, he has a whole vibrant life outside of that. He is a, you know, he has a lot of creativity to express. Um, and so I think that's, that's something I think about a lot. Um, I also think a lot about how do you, this is sort of might sound strange, but I think it's also like we, we've been taught that emotions don't really have a place in the workplace. Um, and you know, it's like, where is that? Where is that line? There's so much that each of us is going through in our personal life that you can't fully separate out when you come into the workplace. And so I think, and there's so much emotion in the work. Um, I don't know if it's especially amplified because I'm a creative person, but I think there's just all of these moments that have um, a lot of emotion in them and we're, you know, we're all human. So I think it's important to also to, to recognize that and to speak openly about, about that. Like, you know, within our company, summer is always a really intense time of burnout because we give summer Fridays. People, you know, people have all this amazing stuff going on in their personal life, but it means they also have a lot less hours um, to get work done and just more, like, more tension on their time. And then it's a really busy, even though it doesn't seem like it should be, it's also one of the busiest periods for us. And so... Um, I, I've experienced this year after year for such a long time. And so, you know, in those creative meetings, I also try and acknowledge things like that and just speak openly about them and give people the space to, to recognize that or to talk about ways to combat burnout. Um, or even like if we're in a creative brainstorm and we came up, you know, collectively we came up with three amazing ideas that we were so in love with and, you know, they get killed by the client or only one of them makes makes it through like sometimes I'll even be like let's do a moment of silence for the ideas that didn't make it <laughs> I love that I know it's like it's funny right but it's also like it yes, also scary. feels really good because other we're kind of taught to not acknowledge those things and they actually are painful when you love an idea so much and it doesn't you know and the ideas don't die that's the other thing it's like Maybe, you know, sometimes we can, like, do them for something else. Sometimes you can resuscitate them or find another place to put them. But it's also, I think, nice to acknowledge those things that are, that are hard that we're told to just be tough and, like, power through. And it's not a weakness to feel those feelings, you know, as long as we're learning and persevering and continuing on. In a minute, we'll get back to my conversation with Piera. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about Ring and their Neighbors app. I actually recently installed a Ring at our house, and it's pretty incredible to be able to see who's at your door without actually having to go to the door. 
You've probably heard about the app that they have that goes along with the Ring, which is called Neighbors, and it's by Ring, the company behind those video doorbells and security cameras. With the Neighbors app, you receive real-time crime and safety alerts from your neighbors, and it helps you stay informed about what's going on in your neighborhood. And it's completely free. You don't even need to own the Ring device to install it. So I recently downloaded the Neighbors app. I set my home base, and now I can see everything that's going on around my neighborhood. That way, if someone's dog is missing, I can keep my eyes open for them. Or if there have been a rash of thefts, I know, and there are never any unpleasant surprises. And it just makes me feel more informed about what's going on in my neighborhood. The fact is, this app is making it easier for neighbors to work together and keep communities safe even when they don't know each other. So if you want to see what's going on in your own neighborhood, download the free Neighbors app today. Go to ring.com slash girlboss to download from the Apple Store or the Android Store. That's ring.com slash girlboss. Now, back to my conversation with Piera. I want to shift gears a little bit because there's so many things I want to cover and we're getting close on time. But... The person you are today is very different from that little girl in Maine, from the woman who graduated from NYU. You've accomplished so much already. Um, Looking and sitting where you are today, what does success mean to you? And how has that definition shifted over time? I know that I'm successful, you know, but it's not not about an end point for me. It's about the process. And it's more about a state. It's about a state of being. So for me, being successful means that I am doing work that's meaningful to me, that I am, you know, engaged, you know, actively in my communities and, and I feel like I'm contributing positively to those communities. Um, and it also means that I'm, that I'm living a vibrant life overall. Like to me, that's such an important thing is that I'm expressing my creativity, that I am learning, I'm growing, I'm going to the roller disco, I'm going, you know, I'm... You're not losing I'm not, yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not losing myself and I'm trying, it's hard to nurture all aspects of ourselves, but that I'm at least imperfectly trying to do that. Um, and that I'm just constantly, for me, it's also success is constantly checking in with myself and and realizing where I'm at, what's what's working for me, um, what maybe isn't serving me anymore, and doing that perpetually. That's also something I do in the creative meeting. Like when we did get to like a quarter point in the year, I have people break up into groups and think about what have what have they achieved that they're proud of, what is working for them, what's not serving them, because it's it's a, it's a constant process, you know. I think. Um, so success for me isn't about like a fixed achievement. It's not about specific goals. It's more a state of being um, where that's vibrant and engaged and learning. And I have to imagine some of that evolves also as you're a relatively new mom still. You have a seven-month-old at home. Um, I'm curious about how your vantage point on what it, is like and what you need as a working mom to make things work has shifted. You know, I think we all have conceptions of what it can be like before children, but I'm wondering now that Viva's here, how has that changed for you? Yeah, I mean, it took, it took, as you know, it took um, six years to bring her forth into the world. Um, And so that was, you know, that was a a really big learning process for me and it was hugely empathy building to just recognize um, what a process that was to connect with so many other women who are struggling with infertility, with miscarriage, with, you know, just even grappling with the decision of whether they wanted to be moms or not. I think it can feel like such a solitary place um, and yet it's something that is fair, you know, much more universal than we think it is when we're sitting in that place. Um, So I think, you know, 
it was important to me to be to talk about it and be open about it in the position that I'm in. And you know, even recently, someone that I work with had a miscarriage, and she came and talked to me about it because I had been very open about that within the company when I went through that. And that was so meaningful to me to be able to, you know, she was like, you created this space for me, and this has been really healing to be able to talk to people about it. And she was like, and I, in my role, hope to also create that space for the women on my team. Um, I know. <laughs> the tears are coming. I just have to just fan my eyes for a second. Um, but I think, you know, the same, it's... It, and it's, a, it's, you know, it's even beyond these issues of fertility, miscarriage, motherhood. There's just so many things that people are grappling with that, um, you know, we put on, like, we put on our, you know, big girl pants and our brave smiles and go into the office. And um, sometimes I think that space is actually really helpful to just have a space where it's not, um, where, you know, you have, a, you have a purpose and you have work to do and it, it can be really helpful um, but it's also I think great to allow you know kind of acknowledge what people have going on in their personal life and at least allow them to to be able to feel comfortable speaking about it because um, of course it impacts how you show up and so I think with motherhood that's been it's been an interesting process for me I I mean I feel like the identity shift that you go through is Really, I knew it was coming, but it's hard to prepare yourself for it. And for me, actually, I'm loving the signs that are around the Girl Boss Rally that say you're more than your ambition. Um, for me, it was recognizing that I'm more than my productivity, that my worth is not determined by my productivity. But that was so hard for me um, when I went on leave and I split leave with my husband because we worked together, that boyfriend that I talked about before yeah. is now my husband of 13 years. But when I was on leave, it was so hard for me to, to get used to slowing down. And like I would be feeding Viva and I was just so antsy and anxious. Like I could be do I could be getting so much done right now, but I can't. And I couldn't just check out. There was things I had to get done, um, but it was so hard to figure out how to work work, work into the equation with a new baby and also how to get comfortable slowing down and, and, and recognizing, you know, just sort of recognizing this new version of myself. But I think workplaces, you know, with new moms, it's really A, having leave, poli you know, having leave policies and also having parental and Matern maternity leave, I think, is really important to support women. Um, I have the blessing of having an equal partner, um, but not, you know, not everyone does. And societally, it's also not yet, it's still taboo for men to take that leave. It's still not seen as a necessity when it really should be. Um, and then I think having flexibility, too, when people are coming back and recognizing that it's, you know, the maternity leave you know, it's amazing to have that time, but then when you come back, it's really hard to transition. It's hard to um, figure out the new, you know, what your new normal is, and you you can't ever go, you don't ever go back. Um, so for me, that's been a real process of of recognizing that it's I, I'm never going to go back to who I was seven months ago and who who am I now in my work and um, how do I, you know. How do I want to take that on and operate it? But I'm very much in the messy middle. Like, um, do you think you ever get out of the messy middle? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Actually, I guess I've been in the messy middle my whole life. Um, but it feels very much like the messy middle seven months into having a baby and like realizing that I used to work probably 20 more hours a week than I do now, or that than I want to do want to now. Um, and it, you know, I think also we have a very young workplace, so I have you know, also been on the side of things where I've had employees come to me and complain about people that are on, that are taking maternity leave or that have had to shift their hours because they became moms. And that's been really hard to shift that mentality. I think there just needs to be a lot more empathy because it is very consuming. And just because you have this new priority in your life, like I think the perception when people would come to me and complain about people that had just become moms, they were like, well, she's not invested in the same way. Um, and that just... What do you say back to that? It's so difficult. I mean, I just tried to use it as a teachable moment to just 
A, give, give them perspective, because I think you don't always have perspective on what people are doing that aren't you. Um, and a lot of the women, you know, it wasn't that many times, but, you know, in those instances, it was people that, that were great at prioritizing, that got their shit done, that, you know, that, yes, have this huge new priority in their life, but were still very much committed. And so I just try to use it as a moment to breed some empathy and also some perspective. Um, but I think it's tough because there's, there is a, you know, there is a motherhood penalty. Motherhood is really the start of the wage gap. Like more and more, at least young white women are getting, are pretty equal. But then once we get to motherhood, that's where the gap starts. And it's even, you know, even more for women of color. And so it's a, it's a whole shift that needs to happen. But it's, I mean, the, the root of it is systemic, so we also need to like be very focused on voting the right people into office that care about, you know, minimum wage, that care about paid family leave, um, and that also are looking at how can we provide, you know, day, you know, universal daycare, because um, that's such a huge thing. I, you know, I, again, I have the privilege to have that help, and I think about, I think that's it's. The whole process has been so empathy building because I just think about what other people go through all the time. I feel like I'm struggling, but I know that it, you know, I just am so aware of how, um, how many obstacles and how the odds are so stacked against um, moms in so many ways. And so I think if we can in the workplace, create that empathy, create that support system, um, create those systems to support working moms, that's a, that's a, such an important first step. Thank you so much, Pierre. Yeah. This was such a treat. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks so much to Pierre for joining us on Girlboss Radio and at the Girlboss Rally. It's always so much fun speaking with women doing amazing things in media. Before we go, I want to do a little bit of a housekeeping note. This will actually be my last episode as co-host for Girlboss Radio, at least for the foreseeable future. I've had so much fun co-hosting with Sophia on the podcast these past few months, but we're building a lot of things here at Girlboss, and I've decided to focus my time on some of the other incredible things we're doing. We have our new network of ambitious women connecting on girlboss.com. If you haven't joined yet, do it today. We also have some new podcasts in production and so much more coming down the pipe. I'm going to be focusing on helping make sure all of that goes smoothly. So, Sophia will be coming back full-time to host starting next month on Girlboss Radio. Stay tuned. We've got some exciting updates coming soon. And as always, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Girlboss Radio wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for now. I'll see you on the internet and on girlboss.com.